from chapter 1 and verse 1 together this morning. It's page 1213. 1213 in your pew Bibles. Just after Hebrews. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Amen. Let's sing together. Who is on the Lord's side? When was the last time you wrote someone a letter? Not an email, an actual letter. When was the last time you thought, I'm going to communicate with someone and I'm not going to email, I'm not going to text, I'm not going to WhatsApp, I'm not going to iMessage, I'm not going to Facebook Messenger. I'm going to take a piece of paper and a pen, I'm going to write a letter, I'm going to put it in an envelope, stick on a stamp and post it off. When was the last time you wrote or received a written letter? Well, we ought to be glad that they didn't have uh, WhatsApp groups 2,000 years ago because we get to study the letters of Scripture. And we are going to spend some time this year looking at the book of James, the letter of James. I've given this series the title, Faith at Work. I knew I would forget something. Thank you, Kyle. I'll bring my wee clicky thing up. Faith at Work. And the reason I've given it that title is because there is an emphasis really throughout James's letter on the fact that our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ has to work itself out in the lives that we live. Uh, Christianity isn't about a kind of mental ascent to some obscure 
beliefs and doctrines that make no difference to the lives that we live and even to the way that we view the world around us. When we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the, we, the things that we see as we look around us are different. Our perspective is different and the lives that we live ought to be different too. And that is um, really a, a strong emphasis throughout the letter of James. True faith is active. True faith is life-changing, as we shall see. So I read a passage, and now I want to confess that we're not going to look at all of that passage together uh, this morning. We're going to look at the first verse, or actually we're going to look at the first half of the first verse. So I want to assure you that we're not going to work our way all the way through the letter of James at this pace. We're not going to take it half a verse a week. Uh, we're not going to spend many years in the letter of James. But I want to take uh, my time, if you will allow me, this morning so that we don't miss the significance of who it is that writes this letter in the first place. The way that letters were written 2,000 years ago make a lot more sense than the way they are written now. So I do miss handwritten letters. I enjoy getting them when I, on the occasion that I receive them. But actually, the way that they are written now doesn't make as much sense as the way that they used to be written. Because now if you get a letter, you have to read the whole letter before you get to the end where you find out who has written the letter. It's signed off at the very end. Uh, unless you're Deborah, who can tell from the handwriting on the envelope who has written the letter. We know, Deborah tells me who our Christmas cards are from as soon as they drop through the letterbox before we've even opened them. I have no clue. So if I get a letter, I have to read the whole letter and then see who signed it at the bottom before I know who's written it. But 2,000 years ago, uh, the way of writing a letter would be firstly to say who you are and then to say who you are writing to and then to offer a brief word of greeting and then to get into the body of the letter itself, which seems like a very sensible way to do things. That's what we find as we begin to read the letter of James. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twi twelve tribes scattered among the nations. So who is James? There are a number of Jameses mentioned in Scripture. Uh, there are only two of those Jameses who have ever been put forward as possible authors of this letter. Firstly, James, the son of Zebedee and the brother of John, one of the two sons of thunder. Uh, that's the, the, the first of the two Jameses who have um, who this letter has been attributed to in the past. But this James was martyred very early on, probably the first Christian martyr. And really that is 
too early. That is before this letter is likely to have been written. So this is one of the earliest New Testament letters. Uh, it's up there with Galatians. It's a very, very early letter. But James, the son of Zebedee, and the brother of John was martyred even before that, even before this letter was written. And that leaves us with James, the brother of Jesus. So Matthew and Mark record a similar story as Jesus heads back home and he teaches in the synagogues. Uh, Mark puts it like this. He says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? And then the verse on your screen. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Matthew and Mark mention Jesus' brothers and sisters. If you were raised in the Roman Catholic Church, then you will know that the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is that Mary was a virgin throughout her whole life. And so you have to try and work your way around these texts somehow if you're going to hold to that teaching. Usually what people will say is that Joseph must have been married before he met and married Mary. So he must have been married, had children, then his wife died, he meets Mary uh, and uh, gets engaged and he already has these children. I have to say, I think that's very unlikely. It's not mentioned anywhere in Scripture. And usually the most plain reading of Scripture is the best reading. It seems much more likely to me that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph, as husband and wife, had babies. They had boys and they had girls. And Jesus grew up with siblings by his side. One of the reasons that seems much more likely to me is, oops, sorry, is uh, Matthew 1, 24 and following. Matthew says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until, keyword, until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So Mary and Joseph got married, had babies, one of whom was James, the author of this letter. We know from the Gospels that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him at first. 
But Jude and James certainly came to faith, and it seems likely that the other brothers came to faith as well. Paul, uh, as he writes to the Corinthians, he says, don't we have the right to bring a Christian wife with us as the other apostles and the Lord's brothers do? So Jude and James certainly came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but it seems likely that the other brothers did too in time. It's quite something when you think about it, isn't it? Because if anyone would have seen Jesus do something or say something which would have meant that he was not who he claimed to be, then surely it would be his own brothers. They saw what happened behind closed doors. They saw the real Jesus as he grew up. If anyone had seen or heard Jesus do or say something which would have meant that he could not have been who he claimed to be, it would have been then. But James and Jude and I think all of the other brothers came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They came to see that He was indeed the Christ. He was indeed the Messiah. He was indeed the anointed King sent by God into the world to save sinners. What a privileged position they had. What a privileged position James had. James, brother of Jesus. That's how we might have expected him to open his letter, isn't it? James, brother of Jesus. When the letter is taken out of the wee envelope, or whatever the first century equivalent was, and the, the scroll is unrolled, James, brother of Jesus, that would have secured a listening, wouldn't it? This is the brother of Jesus that is writing to us. We better listen to what he has to say. There are few things as frustrating in the world as people not listening to what you have to say, speaking to people and your words having no weight. It's terribly frustrating. I'm sure we've all experienced it at some point in our lives. We might think James wanting to avoid that would remind these people who he is. He is a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, what he says matters. But that's not how he introduces himself. James was also one of the main leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So this is an early letter, the letter of James. At this time, uh, the church is predominantly Jewish. Most people who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are Jewish. And James is one of the main men, along with Peter and John, in the Jewish church. So you might think, well, he would introduce himself with a grand ecclesiastical title. Maybe James, the Bishop of Jerusalem, or some such title, to remind his readers to give him the respect that he deserves, 
to listen to what he has to say. Instead, he simply says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that striking? James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to speak to us of two things, at least. Firstly, I ought to speak to us of identity. How James sees himself is very striking, given the position he had within the church, given the the background he had as a, a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He seems to see himself first and foremost as a servant of God and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever played that game where you have a a post-it note stuck to your head? Who am I? Uh, And someone, you know, you have all these names written down on post-it notes, Margaret Thatcher, Winston Churchill, David Beckham. You pick one out at random, you don't see it, you stick it on your head and uh, you have to work out who you are by asking the people who can see this name questions. Am I famous? Am I a man? Am I a woman? Am I a footballer? And so on and so forth. And eventually, by process of elimination, you work out who you are. It can be quite challenging. But, but working out who we actually are is even more challenging and, and obviously even more important. Who are you? Your name is a useful label, but it doesn't really get to the heart of the matter, does it? You're not really your name. If you had to write a letter like James, or to bring it maybe up to speed, if you had to write one of those wee biographies on, on Twitter or Facebook or whatever, what would you write? And what would be first? What would be top on that list? What makes you, you? Who, who am I? Am I Ross, the Rangers fan? Is that what makes me me? Uh, am I Ross, the husband of Deborah? Ross, the father of Katie and Grace? Ross, the pastor of Airdrie Baptist Church? All these things are are true, but do these things make me who I am? And if they do, if they have a part to play, what comes top? What is the most important? What's the most important to you? What makes you, you? Is it your career? If you were to lose your job, would you feel that you have lost something of who you are? Is it your relationships with your family, your identity? Is it found in being a grandparent or a spouse or a parent or a sibling? Is it your nationality, your race, your ethnicity? your sexuality, your 
political affiliations, what makes you you, and what tops that list? Because the thing that tops that list is the thing that you will live for. It is the thing that you will give yourself to. To use the language of Scripture, it is the thing that you will worship. Your relationships with your family, your career, your nationality, your race, your ethnicity, your sexuality, your political affiliations, or is it your relationship to God through the Lord Jesus Christ? Is that what makes you you? Is that what matters more than everything else? Jesus, you see, demands that he be put top of the list. Anyone, says Jesus, who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. What made James who he was, was not his role within the Jerusalem church. It was not his Jewishness. It was not the fact he shared a bedroom with Jesus as he grew up. What made him who he was, was that he was a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what mattered most. That was what topped the list for him. And the same should be true of us if we have been baptized into the Lord Jesus Christ as believers, if we have confessed Him as our Lord, uh, our allegiance should be to Him above all the other bonds and ties to other people and other things. All of these things, some of them may be very good things, but all of these things must bow the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1, verse 1, speaks of identity, and it also speaks of humility, doesn't it? That James, with the upbringing that he has had, that James, with the things that he has seen, that James, with the role that he has been given in the church, should see himself first and foremost as a servant it's a low word for servant that's used, almost as a slave, as a, as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks to us of His humility, surely. And yet we shouldn't be surprised because the Lord Jesus, His Lord, was the Lord who was pleased to live and to die in humility. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
The narrow road that leads to life is the path of humility. There's a story told of, of uh, Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China uh, in the 19th century. He was asked to speak at a big church in Australia, and the person introducing him spoke in glowing terms about who he was and all he had achieved, and then he presented him to the congregation as our illustrious guest, Mr. Hudson Taylor. And so Taylor came up to the pulpit, and he took a few moments in quietness to gather his thoughts together. And then he spoke, and this is what he said. He said, my friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. James, for all, he was a pillar of the church in Jerusalem, a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was very happy to be a little servant of an illustrious master. And that humility served him well. Augustine said, should you ask me what is the first thing in religion, I would answer the first and the second and the third is humility. Without humility, that end quote, without humility, we don't see our need for a saviour in the first place, do we? We think we're okay. We think we're fine. We're doing okay. We're, we're doing well enough. We don't see our needs for someone to come down, to reach down, to lift us up, to rescue us, to wash us clean. We think that we are fine as we are. So without humility, we never experience this rebirth that Jesus speaks of. And without humility, we will never grow in the Christian life. We will never become more mature in Christ Jesus. Without humility, to die to self and to live to God, without the humility to love others as He first loved us, we will never be who He calls us to be in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James, just in these very first few words of his letter, just in, in telling his readers who he is or who he sees himself to be, offers us a great, great challenge. Do we see ourselves above all other things that make us us? Do we see ourselves as servants of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ? And are we willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in humility as we serve God and serve others in His name? May the Lord grant us grace to say yes with both our lips and our lives. Amen. Let's just bow 